Welcome to the Power Play Podcast, where international cricketer Kyron Powell and marketing genius Jordan Shannon join forces, bringing you captivating conversations with the biggest players in cricket and business. Join us as we dive into the lives of current stars in the cricketing world, the legends before them, and those extraordinary icons whose performances changed the game in both cricket and business. Exploring journeys both on and off the pitch, the boardroom, and everything in between. Get ready for an exhilarating blend of cricket, life, and business insights with two insatiably passionate, infuriatingly no-holds-barred hosts who, unfortunately for the rest of us, live and breathe this stuff for a living. Thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, This is the first ever episode of the Power Play podcast, and I am proudly uh, here to announce that Kai will be joining us, um, West Indies opening batter, and thank you for joining us, Kai. Thanks, Jordan. Thanks for having me. Cool. Um, so we'll get straight into it, and I just want to discuss sort of your first cricketing memories, really. Uh, I think my first cricketing memories, and I've always used to be my dad, who's an avid cricket lover, um, farmer, West Indies Cricket Board Administrator, Leeward Islands Cricket Manager, um, and President. So I always used to be following behind him, you know, in Nevis, going to the park. Um, one of my earliest memories was, I think, 1996. I remember watching... A Leeward Islands trial match and Kirtley Ambrose bowled a four over spell. Um, and only two balls that he bowled in his four over spell hit the back. Both were edges that went to like first slip. I was like, as a, as a six year old, he looked yeah. like his bowl at a thousand miles an hour. And obviously, he's already a tall man. And looking yeah. up as a six year old, he was like huge as well. So I was just yeah, like, this is this is the place I want to be. Yeah, definitely. So obviously, your cricketing background came naturally and into, into the sport. So did where was you first? Where did you first start playing cricket? Uh, obviously, Nevis. I um, grew up in Nevis. Fell in love with cricket. Played my first official match. I think when I was eight years old or something like that. Um, right. Primary school and just obviously just had a massive love. It was it was a huge thing in the family. But cricket wasn't actually my first sport. It was track and field. And right. I, I sort of had to make a decision. But you know, my parents wouldn't force me to either sport, so they they just left it up to me. And at, around the age of twelve, thirteen. I decided that, you know, there's no one from, from Nevis that's actually ever gone on to be a professional um, athlete or anything of any stature, but I've, I've seen international cricketers before, so I knew I had more of a chance of being a professional cricketer than, than an athlete. Yeah. And did you did you feel like, at what sort of age did you get into realising that you felt like this could turn into something, um, you know, as a career, but also like something you could genuinely take advantage of and, you know, to, to be successful at? I think sort of around the age of 14, 15. Um, 14, I got a cricket scholarship to come to school in the UK where I attended Millfield. And then around the age of 15, I got selected for a West Indies under-19 camp. So I figured um, if, if I'm 15 right. and I'm, I'm good enough to get into a West Indies under-19 camp, um, th- there must be something here if I continue to work hard enough. Yeah. And at, at that point when you went to Millfield, did you, did you sort of change your sort of approach towards the game then or did you did you still sort of have feel that you had that sort of um did you constantly have that mindset of that professionalism to, to go above and beyond sort of thing i think what millfield sort of accentuated is the fact that i did want to play cricket you know obviously yeah. um being in the uk 
um, playing school cricket, playing club cricket, etc. You play a lot more cricket than than what is on offer, right? Caribbean, especially at that age group, because I mean our, our regional system, it's just six teams, so you're only ever going to play five five matches. Whereas um, in the school system, I was playing under 15s and senior boys cricket as well. So I playing something like 30-something, 40 games wow. okay. in the summer. Um, and that had nothing to do with going back to the Caribbean and playing domestic under-15s, under-19s, etc. So I was, I was playing a lot more cricket than everyone else. And it really helped to advance and assure me that this is something that I did want to do as a profession growing up. And it, being over in the UK for that period of time, what sort of part of the game did it allow you to develop to then take back into the Caribbean domestic season as you mentioned then? I think everything um, obviously off the field in terms of being professional um, having to report to training report to sessions um, and sort of manage yourself um, and again being away from your family at at such a young age 14 years old being in boarding school um, other kids could go home on the weekend or half terms or whatever the case is but you know, it's, it's not like I could go home on a Friday evening and come back on a Saturday because my family would be all the way in the Caribbean. Um, yeah. It sort of made me grow up a bit fast, um, obviously be self-sufficient and understand that, you know, this is something that, you know, we we, we chose to do. Um, my family obviously made sacrifices for me to come, so I couldn't necessarily screw it up. You know, I had to be focused and dedicated to what, what I sort of came across in yeah i think like when you speak to these elite athletes around the world and you hear you know you listen to various podcasts or listen to various interviews and they talk about how the the, one of the biggest motivations was the commitment and the dedication that the family put towards allowing them to have that platform to go and you know to go and be successful uh that's definitely one sort of continuity throughout a lot of people like i said these top athletes that you hear that that's a big motivation i think that you know, like you were saying, when you're over here in the UK, you're away from home, you have that, you know, you could have that situation of a little bit of homesickness and stuff like that. I think that drives you to, to take to that next level and remain that focused, sorry, to remain, you know, remain focused to be switched on and get out what you need to get out sort of thing. So after after Millfield, you mentioned then about uh, playing representative. Did you say, how old did you say you was when you played for the West Indies in the 19s? Um, I was selected for a trial at the age of 15, but right. I, didn't, I didn't make the team. Um, I thought I should have made the team, but, you know, second right. stack is then my control. Yeah. Um, but then I went on to make those things on the 19 team. The following on the 19 World Cup, which was played in Malaysia in 2007. Right. Um, so, I mean, everything sort of went full circle, but after Millfield, I went back to the Caribbean. Um, and that's, that's around the time when they had all that Stanford T20 yeah. Stuff happening. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, my my grandmother had fallen ill and passed away as well. So it, it sort of worked out as a blessing in disguise. That you know, obviously, I could have stayed for upper sixth and lower sixth, and you know, obviously done university and stuff here. But yeah. I sort of got to spend the last year of her life, you know, with her as well. So I mean, yeah. I'm not I'm not necessarily disappointed about this no. at all. You know. No. No, and yeah, I can I can imagine that it would have been you know very a tough time for you and things during that time. So, in terms of what was your sort of first breakthrough year on the domestic scene then? Uh, so I think it was after that under nineteen World Cup in two thousand and seven, actually. Right. Okay. We we came back. It was two thousand and eight, actually, the under nineteen World Cup. But we came back from Malaysia and 
the last game of the season, you know, some of my teammates know um, we're all around the same age group, but you know, these guys had made the first class debuts before me, and yeah, you know, I, I, I've been performing in at the youth level, you know, under 15s, under 19s, everything, and wasn't being given an opportunity. So, the last game of the season, um, the selectors called me and said, you know, we're gonna give you your debut in the last game of the season and good luck, etc. And strangely enough, I won, I won man of the match in that game. And so that sort of led to the next season, me having another good season and getting selected for the West Indies A team. So things sort of, sort of moved really quickly for me in that sense. Yeah, fantastic. And then in terms of when you made your debut, well, when you made the, when you was involved in the setup with the West Indies A team, who, who uh, was currently in that side at that moment? Uh, so it was young players at the time, you know, the likes of the the Jason Hallers, the Perry yeah. Brackets, etc. You know, we're all just coming through yeah. development pathways at that time. Cool, cool. So in terms of obviously we we've, we now got to where you are, you start your career at that moment. Going back to your sort of cricketing heroes as such, who 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 really inspired you, and who did you look up to growing up? Uh, growing up, two West Indian batters that. I, I really enjoyed watching were Desmond Haynes and Richard Richardson. Um, I mean, my, my dad being a cricket aficionado, we used to have DVDs on DVDs uh, yeah. and, and cassettes on cassettes of cricket, you know, and you just watch them back and I'd memorize every single game from every single series. But the one batter that really stood out for me was Saeed Anwar from Pakistan, the left hand yeah. opener. Yeah. Um, and he was just so easy, so so graceful. And I just thought, like, you know, obviously myself being a young left handed opener as yeah. well, he was just, I think he was just a class above in the way that he could go about and destroy teams so effortlessly. Yeah. And it was yeah. really something that inspired me to obviously try and not overhit the ball or anything and just try and be a, a graceful player as well. Yeah. I think with Saeed Anwar, he's. One of my earliest cricket memories is from the '99 World Cup in England. Um, Pakistan had that like bright green sort of uh, one-day kit, and uh, you know himself was just so, like you said, so so fluent and so sort of aggressive, but at the right sort of time. So yeah, he was a you know a genuine top top player. So in terms of going back to sort of your career, when did you sort of see with that Western in a setup that you was involved in? Did you sort of see your path? into the senior setup at that point or how did you sort of perceive or look at how to get into that side at that moment uh well i wasn't really thinking about it much at that point to be honest because i, I just had one season and, and a game the year before yeah under, under my belt you know so i still knew that i wasn't necessarily ready at that point to play international cricket so yeah. i was just obviously trying to absorb as much information um the atmosphere the environment what the work ethic was like you know yeah how do I measure myself against eighteen players now? Because these yeah. are some guys that would have played international cricket, or some guys that are aspiring in different parts of the world. So you know, how yeah. can I compare to these guys at different stages around the world from my progression from under nineteen to now senior men's cricket? So that was most of my focus at, at that point in time. Which I thought, I mean, I had I had some work to do on specific areas of my game, and yeah. I took that information away. And I really worked on certain things after that. And what sort of what, if you don't mind me asking, what were those sort of things that you had to that you knew you had to work on, sort of thing? Were the technical things, were the mentality things? How 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 was it really? A bit of a bit of both. Um, obviously, as I said, I mean, I was just nineteen, twenty, and yeah. that time, um, being a young player, there's so much room for growth. Um, yeah. 
and I was I was um, selected for the West Indies High Performance Academy at that point, which was based in Barbados. So, you know, I already had a template of things that I felt that I needed to implement into my game. Obviously, there was a mental skills coach there, and we used to have right, okay. so many different sessions. But I think in particular, I always used to get starts, but then I would get out. Um, and so I really did a lot of work on facing spin. Um, right. And not just on normal wickets as well. You know, we used to have this sort of cock wicket that allows the ball to spin extra. It's exaggerated spin. Right, okay, nice. If you don't get right to the pitch of the ball or all the way back, then you're not going to hit it. So that really helped me in terms of improving my play against um, spin, and I worked tirelessly, yeah. tirelessly um, day after day against that. And, and that was a big help for me, as well as working on my fitness, because, I mean, at that point in time, at, at the academy, we used to run for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Right. That 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 was our meal. You know, we were training every day. So I mean, I was I was really fit and really focused on on what I needed to get done at that point. Yeah, it, I think you know you're talking there about my coach. Who who from a coaching perspective is really giving you that sort of um, mentorship? You know, and really looked after you or guided you along that way, or the, you know, from a piece of advice. And if so, what sort of advice was you given? you know, from your early career that sort of stayed with you um, till now? Uh, so there, there's several people that I can pinpoint along the way of my journey. Obviously, my dad was, was yeah. my first coach. Um, the basic the basic foundations of my game were drilled into me by my dad. And then obviously coming across to Millfield, um, Mark Davis and Richard Ellison, the um, former England test bowler, those were the coaches at the school. Um, Mark Davis in particular played a pretty um, hands-on role in in my development. Um, and to this day, you know, we still have a very good rapport. Um, going back to the Caribbean, you've got guys like Stuart Williams and Winston Benjamin that were um, pivotal in, in my development and, you know, people that I can pick up the phone and call at any point, any anywhere they are in the world, anywhere I am in the world, you know, those are two guys that have really played a huge role. And then John Maynard as well. So, you know, there's there's a lot of people and obviously, you know, the support of of my beautiful wife Emma. Um, yeah. She says that I need to bat with a speaker or a earpod or something in my ear so that she can tell me what to do. <laughs> Uh, so you know, there's there's lots of people that have played played their part throughout the years into yeah. molding me along different stages of of my career. I think that now you've mentioned Emma, I think it would be an appropriate time to sort of you know mention here that Emma is the the agency founder and CEO um, of the Power Elite Group. Um, you know, she's been fantastic with me. Uh, for the first six months I've been a part of the team here and things and it's been fantastic you know you both have been absolutely brilliant with me um, how did you guys meet and, and how did it come about um, so she swears that this is not the story but I, I promise you and um, video footage will reveal the truth that this is definitely the way um, <laughs> we met um, we were, we were, it was actually my first tour to England with the West Indies team and we were staying at the Royal Garden Hotel and for some some reason, she was at reception when we were coming in from practice or something. And it was sort of like she had a whole Baywatch scene set up and she had everything in slow motion with <laughs> a fan oscillating at like 90 miles an hour, but her hair 
flapping in the wind at like two miles an hour. I was like, how is she getting this done? And she was just like, <laughs> and I swear, I swear to God, that is that is the truth of the story. But um, she'll say something otherwise. Well, I can't wait to get her on the pod and have a, have a you know, take, get her take on the on the whole story. But it's uh, you know, definitely, uh, definitely one where one might see it the other way and such. But no, it's lovely. Uh, it's lovely. So, in terms of going back to your cricketing career as such, the you made your Test debut then in two thousand and eleven. Um, what do you remember leading up to that? And and I believe that there was a bit of dispute with the cricket West Indies over various bits and pieces. Did you sort of realise that there was the opportunity there for you to sort of you know to dive in with with injuries and potentially sort of issues going on around? Um, so the dispute bit was actually when I made my audio debut. Um, oh, was that right? Okay, yeah, that was in two thousand nine. In two thousand eleven, um, I think the board was having uh, keeping Chris Gale out of the team for whatever reason. Um, right, and so I can't remember who the openers were at the time. I think it might have been Adrian Barrett and Lendell Simmons. But um, I was still at the High Performance Centre at that point. That was our last year, and. Um, so my family actually wanted me to make the West Indies team before the age of 22. Uh, I would have to go to university and sort of drop cricket. Oh, right. I, was, I, was, I was like 21 and nine months. I'm in the academy and I'm like, <laughs> yeah. just going through the phase, um, going through my steps because I was like, you know, I'm going to university in a couple of months. This is you know, a waste of time. All right, 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 okay. And so Courtney Brown, who was um, one of the selectors at that point in time, he was actually working with us at the High Performance Center as well. And I remember specifically asking him the day before at practice, what are my chances of selection? I've, I've had like three good seasons now. Like I can't even make a squad. Like what, what do I have to do to be selected? And he just laughed. And then the next day we finished practice and West Indies were playing against India at Kensington Oval. Yeah. And after practice, we were back at the um, house that we were staying as the um, high-performance players. Yeah. And I got a call saying I need to come to Kensington Oval and come up to the um, press box or something. The only time I've actually been up to that box. <laughs> and so I go up there and he says, oh, have a seat. Um, how was practice, etc., etc." And he says, so um, yesterday you asked me a question and I'm calling you now to tell you that you've been selected for the next match um, was things against India in Dominica and someone will get in contact with you to give you further information on your travel arrangements once um, the, the, I think this is like the second day of the match. So he said, you know, you have to start preparing yourself now to travel, etc. And I remember I was in such, such a state of shock because like, I was, I just asked this man yesterday, like yeah. my chance of being selected and it seemed like a million miles away. And the next day, you know, I've, I've been selected to play for the West Indies. Well, it was fantastic. I bet him, you know, like you were saying, from from, from Millfield to well, even starting out before and everything like that. It must have been fantastic to sort of to get that call. And who was the first person you told? Uh, the guys at the house. <laughs> right. when I got back to the house. So I actually stayed and watched um, the rest of the days play because obviously our training sort of overlapped with with the test match. So right. by the time we got back from practice after lunch, we were so tired we generally fall asleep and then you just like maybe an hour's play yeah so i wanted to see what like who was playing for india and what they're doing because i was 
I'm gonna play test cricket in um, the next week. So yeah, no, it must have been that must have been a fantastic, uh, you know, to to finally reach that goal as such in terms of achieving what you wanted to achieve and. You know, not real. I must say, I've only just been made aware that this. You had this sort of deadline as well of what you wanted to to do. It must have been fantastic. And I think when you look back, and I've been looking at the scorecard, that India side is just packed of like, like not even, you know, we're talking top, 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 top players like the VBS Laxman, Coley, and Dravid, and you know, okay. it's just say what say yeah, yeah. Oh. it was crazy. Yeah, and do you know the, mo- the most bizarre thing when I sp- saw the scorecard is a dismissal of VVS Laxman as well. <laughs> Not a Chandler Yeah, stumped. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, I was like, wow, didn't expect to see that. <laughs> <laughs> so what? What do you obviously think when you got the call? What do you remember sort of leading up to that for, to, to your first test, and how did you? How did your mind sort your mindset sort of change to think I'm now representing my country at the highest level? Uh, I was I was nervous as hell, man. Like, yeah. like, I couldn't sleep. Obviously, excited and yeah. um, playing in Dominica. I hadn't played much in Dominica before, but um, so my grand my grandfather is actually from Dominica. Um, yeah. And so oh, wow. I, had, I had lots of family there um, that oh, watch watch the um, game and stuff. Um, lots of them that some of them I've met before but some of them I've never met um, so it was an interesting time um, but I was so nervous you know like I couldn't move my feet like the anxiety the adrenaline of playing test match cricket you know I'd be falling asleep at like 7 o'clock in the night like I'd be so tired and it's just yeah. like it was, it was really a rush to, to finally be playing test match cricket yeah I can, I can imagine I think that yeah, I, I can't. I, I can't imagine what it'd be like to represent your country at the highest, that highest sort of possible standard. Who did? Did anyone sort of really take you under the wing? Take you under their wing at that point in, within that West Indies side, or you know, did anyone sort of help you along the way? Definitely. Um, strangely enough, the two people that took me under under their wings, um, Marlon Samuels and Shivnar Shanapal. Obviously, you know, Shivnar Shanapal is one of the greatest batsman the world has ever seen much yeah. less um, West Indies cricket and Marlon Samuels to this day is like a big brother to me you know even we can we cannot speak for a year we cannot speak for two years and then we pick up the phone and we talk for hours as if we've we've spoken every single day and we know everything that's happening yeah. with each other you know and then he was having probably one of the hottest streaks a batsman has had over a period of time where he became a wisdom winner um yeah T20 World Cup man of the match in the finals twice. The only person in the world that's ever done that, you know. So um, yeah, yeah. Those two, those two guys really looked after me. Yeah, well, I think that's really, really important um, thing to have when you and you play that highest level is is using people's experience and people have been around around the scene and used to what's expected. And you look at their, the way that they take on certain tasks and their um, management of certain situations. I think that the you can't put a price on something like that. And the fact that you had those two top, top players, you know, behind you and helping you, I think that's absolutely fantastic. So in terms of where, where did your test career go from after making your debut then? Um, so it was the last match of the series. I didn't do particularly well. And then there was like, a, I think maybe a month, six week gap. And then we had a tour of, a double tour actually, of Bangladesh and then India. 
Um, didn't start the first match in Bangladesh. Came in for the second match. I made my first half century. I think I made 70-something. Um, played the first match in India. Didn't get any runs. Got dropped for the second match. Um, Shignan Chandapal got injured in the last match. So I batted at number five. And I think I made 80-something. So it was a bit stop, start, stop, start. You know, get a score, get dropped. Play, not get a score, get dropped, come yeah. back and get a score, get dropped again. So um, it, it took a while for me to sort of get like a consistent run. In the team. Yeah. And how did you how did you sort of take the, the, the situation in terms of coming in and out the side? Did you just have to try and take it on like a game by game basis or did you just have to, how did you sort of work around the situation in terms of not having that settled position either at the top of the order or in the middle of the order? I mean, it is what it is at, at that point. You know, you're a new player coming in, you're happy to bat wherever you're given a chance. And I would, yeah. I would happily be in a number six for the West Indies if that's where they wanted to put me to that. You know, so yeah. I was just obviously trying to improve in the nets daily um, and wait for an opportunity and, and create one sort of when you get a chance. Yeah. Was that your first time playing in India? Yeah, it was. So, yeah, because that's, you know, you, you, you talk about not only going to arguably one of the test, the top test nations at the time, backyard. It's your first experience of, you know, of completely different wickets to the Caribbean, I imagine. Um, so it's a tough ask in its own right, never mind it being such an early part of your test career as well. It was it was literally, I think, today, the hardest test series I've ever played in my life. You know, that first test match, I mean, playing first-class cricket and not prepare you to play against... I'm batting line with some of the greatest players that have ever yeah. played the game at home, yeah. all in form. We had Sewag and Gambia opening, Dravid at three, Sachin at four, Laxman at five, yeah. I think Coley at six, Dhoni at seven, and Ashwin was getting hundreds against us for fun at that point as well. Yeah. So I think the first test match, we bowled three new balls in the first inning, we were like 176 overs. Um, and my my new to test cricket naive weak brain and body could not physically cope with being in the sun for three days in a row. Yeah. Um I think the 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 third test match when I batted at number five, um obviously we batted it first in the first inning and that was I think a tight test match as well. Oh right, okay. Yeah, that was that was an interesting game. Um last ball they needed two to win. And we got a run out um, after they got one run. So, right. you know, it was it was an interesting series. Though I learned a lot. I got to speak with some of the greatest players that the game yeah. produced. Yeah, definitely. Garner a lot of information from them about how to prepare, how to how to look after yourself. So many different aspects of batting and and just preparation for for cricket and for life. Yeah. So. I think, well, I was just laughing then when you talk about that. I just, I bet you're thinking to yourself, you know, thankfully and gratefully, I'm not a bowler, actually, bowling at that top seven. Oh, my God. It, <laughs> was, it was ridiculous. So we, we literally bowled a minimum of like 150 overs in the first innings of all three test matches. <laughs> oh, my God. Wow. Cause I, I, just, I can just can't imagine being that person at first slip who drops a nick and then you have to go and watch. <laughs> You've got to wait until the next day to get around. It's not doing anything now. It's just straight up and down. So, yeah, I'll have to wait for the new ball to come. 
<laughs> who in that in, so who in that India side did you know you know you're talking about how they told you you know it spoke to you about their approach and how to go about stuff he was he was quite forthcoming in that India side then um obviously again being a left-handed opener I gravitated to Gautam Gambier a lot yeah um, and he had just scored in my opinion a really really high quality double century against Australia as well right um, he was at sort of the peak of his powers and yeah a lot of the things that he has done for India, um, I'm not sure if on a global scale people understand what he's achieved. But when you look at that T20 World Cup, when Dhoni hit the winning six, he actually made 90-something in that match. Yeah, The T20 World Cup, you know, he's always been an under-the-radar type player for them, but someone that's produced at a high level. Um, so it was important for me to speak with him. I was yeah. um, speaking with Tandelka as well, but... Um, he, he's sort of speaking and you not necessarily hearing because you're just in awe that it's yeah. actually touching Dendoka yeah. speaking to you. Um, yeah. so you're just more amazed that you're in the presence of the great man that you watched on TV for so long. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, it must be, it, no, it really must have been fantastic that because like you said, the, these people aren't just current legends or these are people that will get arguably into some of the well, Tendulkar will probably walk into any top test team that's ever lived. So, you know, it's completely unbelievable. Um, in terms of, like, the the question that I've been dying to ask you a little bit, really, is that obviously after your test situation and the cricket side of things, you went into baseball. Where did that come from and where did that passion or how did the opportunity come about, really? Well, it's sort of twofold. I was having some issues with, with the cricket board. And um, we were actually playing a series in New Zealand. And I think I made like 70-something or 40 balls in a one-day match. And credit to American sportsmen, they scout at any opportunity that they can. So they had gotten in contact with Emma and asked her, you know, if if I mind trying out baseball and stuff. And just decided, why not just just give it a go? And it actually actually went really well. But um, obviously, cricket being my first love at you know, things sort of unfolding where West Indies, um, the, the coach at the time actually called me and asked me to come back to cricket and, you know, he just, just decided to come back to cricket. Right, interesting. So you, you wasn't inspired by Michael Jordan's style of switch of sport? No. <laughs> no. Who <laughs> <laughs> he, he, he was in charge of the West Indies side at that, at that time? Uh, that was Phil Simmons's first stint as coach. Right, okay, cool. Cool. Um. In terms of like the friend, friends in the sport, you, you mentioned before about Marlon Samuels. Who else is who else has been you know who else you quite close with in the sport? Uh, from a West Indian standpoint, uh, it, it, it depends. I really like Kyle Mears. Kyle Mears is somebody that me and him have garnered a really good rapport. Yeah, Cameron Hitmeyer and Kimo Paul are like two younger brothers to me. Nice, yeah. And Kuma Bonner, who's actually also one of a, one of the clients of, of Emma. Yeah, um, he's someone I've known from since under fifteen cricket. Um, we've we've come up together through the under nineteen World Cup team, the High Performance Academy, everything. You know, so he's the next one that I'm I'm really close with. Yeah. And a couple other players as well. But you know, these are just some guys from playing for the West Indies that that come out to mind. Uh, if you talk about the Leeward Islands, you, you can't go much further than, than Raheem Conwell, can you? Um, <laughs> Johnny Hard, 
Leeward Islands cricketer, um, but one of the nicest and funniest people that you can ever meet as well. No, lovely. I think that's one thing with cricket is you you meet a lot of people from around the world, and you know, from my perspective, playing league cricket, I've you know, I met some fantastic people and had the opportunity to meet people from all around the world in different walks of life and different ways. And you know, you, you do you you build bonds with these people that you wouldn't have happened wouldn't have happened to have the opportunity because of cricket, really. So, in terms of where you're at now with your cricket, do you still have aspirations to play for the West Indies? Uh, that's the only reason I play cricket. Um, yeah. I've, I've never been someone that looks at first-class cricket and says, oh, I just want to play first-class cricket or I'm happy playing first-class cricket. It's never been something that you know I strive for. I believe that if you're playing first-class cricket, you should always be striving to play international cricket or give the opportunity to someone else that wants to move forward and play international cricket. Yeah. No, I, th- I think that I totally agree. I think that a lot of people, um, you see it a lot of the time in, in you know, football to a certain extent, they, you know, they retire from, from representing the country to focus on, to, you know, their, their sort of domestic career and things like that. But I think to, to what you've got to have that end goal and that sort of thing to keep working towards. And like you were saying, if you're not going to play for the West Indies, then that, like I said, that's why you keep playing. So I totally respect that massively. And, um, in terms of other bits of your cricket, what is the, what's been the most memorable part of your career so far? Uh, I'd say my first test century. Um, I came in Antigua, being from the Leeward Islands, you know, it's, it's the closest to home that I can make a test century. Um, and it was just, obviously, you know, growing up, dreaming about one day, hopefully playing test cricket. Yeah. Um, and actually playing test cricket and scoring an international century. Yeah. Um, I've, I've, I've never had that kind of joy again in a cricket field. You know, that was something truly fulfilling for me in terms of um, ticking the boxes on a cricket field. Yeah, I can imagine. How did you feel when you got into the 90s then? I wasn't particularly nervous, but I was, I was really upset with myself because we went to lunch and I was 96 not out. I'm going to sit here for 40 minutes and then if I get out like the first ball after lunch, like I, I could have found four runs somewhere out yeah. before lunch, you know, but um, thankfully enough, the very first over after lunch, I got I got the century. Oh, lovely. Well, fantastic. I think um, that must have been the longest 45 minutes. So I thought, you know, the lunch break thinking, oh, just give me, just give me a juicy half volley, please. Just come on. <laughs> like, come on, please. <laughs> um, as, you know, going forward now, where, what sort of, uh, what's your, the next phase of your cooking career? And, you know, is there anything that you look, you know, going forward that, that you've got as part of your career going forward? Um, obviously, as I said, just continue to, push my case um, whether I'm selected or not that's out of my control and you know, I think my performances have been good over the past three seasons um, I think I'm the second leading run score in the Caribbean only behind yeah. Blackwood um, so I mean my performances have been good they've been consistent um, and then obviously just to try and help as much as possible when I am playing for the Leewards with, with the other players um, whether it be senior players or junior players in terms of mentoring them yeah 
um, on the field and off the field, you know, work ethic, attitude, discipline, um, punctuality, you know, just various different things of what to expect yeah. at the other level so that, you know, if and when they do get the opportunity, they're more prepared than when I got the opportunity, you know, so it's, it's very yeah. important for me to sort of leave that, that imprint of what Leeward Islands cricket represents. Um, the people that have played before us, you know, it's a very proud franchise. You've got the likes of the Sir Vivian Richards, Sir Kirtley Ambrose, Sir Richie Richardson, you know, all these other greats that have played for that franchise. And it's something that I think that you have to wear the shirt with pride because these guys have fought sweat and tears. You had um, from my island, El Camino Willett, the first yeah. person from the Leeward Albany Islands to represent the West Indies, you know, and for them to sort of open those doors for us today to be able to make a West Indies team a lot easier or go out and play franchise cricket and all these things are things that we should never take for granted. No, I think you were saying there about like how to help people. I don't think you might not realise it yourself, but the people who, you, who you're playing with now at this younger age and you you know, speaking with you while you're playing in the, the Headley Weeks tri-series and these people that the, the way that they look up to you and the experience that you've that you've had over your career it's so invaluable to these people you know these young lads coming through that be able to speak to you and how open you are and how honest you are about various bits of, of the game but also in terms of like the cricketing side of things but also outside of cricket to make you aware of various bits and pieces I think that it's, it's really really valuable to them people and I think it's a credit to yourself that you want to go and help these people as well as, you know, you know what you want to achieve yourself, but also you want to nurture some talent coming through. And I think that it's a big thing for you. It's a credit to yourself that, you know, that's the way you, you, you want to be, really, to be honest with you. No, I think it's important that information is not just gained, but it's also shared. Yeah. That's the only way that, that we can get better um, as a nation, get back to the top. I think that on a whole, we can do a lot better um, throughout the Caribbean in terms of sharing information. Yeah. There's no point having guys like Viv Richards and the Brian Lars and even that regional franchise level. You know, you've got the you've got the Stuart Williams, you've got the all the other guys that have played throughout the Caribbean for the respective territories and stuff. Yeah. No point not tapping into this knowledge because I mean when these guys un unfortunately, you know, everyone has to die and when these guys die, you know, we can't get that knowledge anymore. So I think we should try our best to extract that knowledge and use it throughout the region so that we can sort of rebuild our cricket on our own because no one is, there's, there's no saving grace. There's no help coming. Yeah. You have to sort of do it for yourself. And we have the resources. It's just to tap into them and, and yeah. just efficiently and effectively. Yeah, definitely. When I was in Barbados in March and meeting up with Pedro, uh, Pedro Collins, you could tell that how he was taking his knowledge and helping these young lads come, you know, there. It's These people were just, listening they were ears to the ground they were listening they would they just wanted to to sort of and um, take everything on board and sort of soak everything up and i think that when i was speaking with him about that and that he, he spoke about how he had that when he was growing up and being around it's a case of being passed on and that sort of leads me on a little bit to talking about like the future of test cricket with within the west indies setup you know it seems to be that we talk about the top, the big three in terms of like um, England, Australia, and India playing this, these volumes, large volumes of Test cricket on a regular basis. Do you do you have concerns over the likes of 
you know, with the West Indies and the volume of Test cricket they they play over a, over a, over a year. Yeah, West Indies definitely don't play enough Test, mm. um, and that's something that ICC has to look into. I mean, you can't you can't have a Test nation playing six games a year. Um, yeah. For example, I think the West Indies have two Test matches left for the year, and then you've got like six months, six seven months before you play another Test match. That's yeah. That's ridiculous, you know. I mean, if if you're a test player only, you 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 need to you need to be playing, I guess, county cricket or something yeah. that's a, that can sort of keep you active because you you won't ever be able to have a chance to have any consistency in your performances yeah. because there's such lack of opportunity. Um, yeah. And I think they need to, I mean, look at how they segment the year for international cricket as well. Yeah. Um, because there's such a dirt of T20 franchise leagues. Yeah. Personally, if it were left to me, I think that they need to say to each country, all right, the first three months of the year, you're mandated to play test cricket um, against respected nations. The next three months of the year, we can do... T20 cricket, T20 internationals are the next four months you could do T20 and one day internationals against respective nations and then the next five months of the year you do T20 franchises. Yeah. So you know, for example, or I'm going to play eight to nine test matches in a 12, 12 week period and then that's going to be it. So you can sort of prepare properly and you know that you have enough opportunity so it becomes sort of a season for the different respective formats and then the T20 franchise leagues have a slot for themselves as well. Yeah. I think like you're saying that, I think what regardless of, you know, with test cricket, with, with 50 over with, with T20, when you start to segment it, you will probably start, you will probably start to see that, the quality of each of those segments will actually get better because you can be more focused. Yeah. You know, you talk about the differences in test cricket versus the white ball stuff, you know, leaving the ball and your temperament and your approach. It, 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 to be able to mix and match, it must be very, very difficult. You know, in England at the minute, they've started the T20 Vitality Blast and I think in a couple of weeks' time, they go back to four day. You know, you've probably got lads who don't play T20. You're probably just hanging around a little bit at the minute picking up, trying to pick up a bit of league cricket stuff on the weekend to try and, you know, spend time at the crease and then they're expected to then go and open the batting um, and, you know, and, and bat, you know, 80, 90 overs. It, it's tough and I think they've got to focus on, you know, like saying, segmenting it to allow people to maximise that performance, really. Yeah. I mean, if if that doesn't happen or if, I mean, it doesn't have to be that, but that that's just a way that I've looked at it. Um, yeah. But something needs to be done because then, Cricket is going to go the road of becoming like um, football, the Premier League, for example, where players prioritise playing franchise leagues most of the year and then go away maybe once or twice to play internationals for the country. Yeah. National cricket is going to just die out. And international cricket is, it's it should be the staple. You know, it shouldn't be that franchise leagues are the staple. I mean, everyone needs to have an opportunity to play. And yeah. Different people have different skills, albeit T20 cricket is where the the big money-making opportunity is in cricket. But, you know, there's still, when test matches are played at high quality, there's nothing as entertaining yeah. any form of cricket that's entertaining yeah. as a test series. Hence why 
the up and coming ashes is piquing people's interest because people yeah. want England's new approach to Australia's tried and proven yeah, yeah. approach at Test cricket as well. Yeah, definitely. I think I think you've hit the nail on the head there. It's I've I've always said it, and and you know, for me, the the, the Test cricket is in the name. It's test. It's testing. You know, it, it's it's five days of of hard graft of of testing your mentality, your technique, and and everything with it. And I think, like you're saying there, with Australia coming over here, they've got this tried and tested sort of um, way of playing the game. England are still going through this process of 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 basketball as such, and this aggressive sort of positive manner. How do you see the series sort of panning out? I think because of the nature of how England's playing, it's it's going to be a result-oriented series, but I still think it's going to be a drawn series. Right. There's like a really, really flat pitch that's prepared and yeah. England get five, six hundred in a day and then Australia just bat and bat and bat and England get the next big score and Australia just bat the games out. But I think the way how England plays, it's going to create opportunities for results. Now, which way those results go? Um, yeah. Obviously, the Australian attack is a good attack, so they'll create chances um, once they're not too fussed about going at a higher economy rate than yeah. normal because of the way England are going to come at them. Um, it also depends on if the ball does anything this yeah. summer. Because if the ball starts swinging about and stuff, um, I'm not sure playing the way England are playing right now in England is going to be as effective. But having said that, we saw what they did last summer, so... It's going to be an interesting series, but I've got it as a 2-2 series draw. 2-2 draw, right, nice, nice. And I, 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 can't, I can't wait for it. I can't wait to see how England go about it. Uh, I can't wait to see how Australia go about it. I think the bowling attack has got the ability to be able to to stick to, to stick to plans, and I think they've got the skill set to stick to plans on a regular basis as well. So I can't wait. I'm, I'm really, really intrigued to see how it goes. Um, I wanted to ask you about sort of your coaching sort of stint in the USA and how how you found that and whether you'd see yourself down the line, you know, going down into more coaching really and any opportunities that may come about. It wasn't actually a coaching stint; it was more of a consultancy stint. Um, oh, okay. I didn't I didn't do any coaching, but it was it was branded as a coaching stint. Right. Um, I'm not sure if I would do coaching in the future. Um, I'm not averse to it, but I haven't really had that much opportunity in the past. Um, obviously, around the first-class team and stuff, like I help out here and there. But this summer, I'm actually doing a bit of coaching, so I'll, I'll be able to grasp um, better at the end of the summer whether it's it's something for me or not. But I'm open to it because it's something I've I've never done, and I think that I have a good understanding. Yeah. The game. Um, so it's yeah. it's something like I have a lot of information, a lot of knowledge that I would yeah. like here. Um so it's just figuring out the best voice in which I can sort of do that. Yeah. Cool. Well, that sort of rounds everything up that I was sort of wanted to have a chat with you about. And I just want to thank you very much for joining me tonight. And uh, I hope you've all who've been listening, hope you've all enjoyed it and hope you have a fantastic rest of your night and I'll speak to you soon, no doubt. Cheers, Jordan. Thanks for having me. Thank you very much. Cheers. Cheers. Bye. Thank you for joining us on the Power Play podcast, hosted by Kyron Powell and Jordan Shannon. 
We hope you enjoyed this immersive dive into the world of cricket and business, exploring the unique experiences and perspectives of players past and present, alongside those invaluable insights into intriguing business themes that transcend beyond the boundaries of sporting heroics. Be sure to set your reminders on your Alexa or Google Home device. Or we won't tell anyone if you still use those paper calendar things from a bygone era. Join us next time for more inspiring dialogue with scintillating minds on the Power at Play podcast.